Well, let's stand for the reading of our gospel today, which can be found in John chapter 18, uh, verses 33 through 37. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea? Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. This is the word of our Lord. You may be seated. Let us pray. Almighty God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we thank you for who you are and that we are your children. Let our hearts be open to your leading during this time. Amen. Well, today is Christ the King Sunday, the final Sunday of our liturgical or church year. The church calendar differs from our secular January through December calendar in that it marks the seasons of the church beginning with Advent, which begins next Sunday, and ending with Christ the King Sunday. That's today. So today is the last day of the church year, and we'll begin anew next week. I'm just remembering the first thing I ever heard Pastor Michelle say. Her eyes are wide open. It was, I love Jesus. And I thought, okay, she's the one for us. And we thank you, Lord, for that. Here's some background on Christ the King Sunday, which is officially called the Feast of Christ the King. It's a feast day that celebrates the full authority of Christ as King and Lord of the universe. The day was originally celebrated on the last day of October, the day before All Saints Day. But in 1969, Pope Paul VI moved it to the last Sunday before Advent. He did this to emphasize the importance of this day. Churches that use the revised common lectionary, including most mainline Protestant groups, including ours, honor Christ the King Sunday as the final Sunday of the liturgical or church year. Next week, we begin a new church year with the first Sunday of Advent, so don't forget that. We're starting a new year. Happy New Year next week. <laughs> this idea of Jesus as king and the present existence of the kingdom of God may not seem so relevant to us today. But consider our world in 2021 as we look back at the origin of this feast day. I quote from an article written by Leslie White. The first feast of Christ the King was instituted by Pope Pius XI in 1925 and was to be celebrated throughout the Universal Church. 
This feast day was in response to the increasing denial of Christ as king and the rise of secularism throughout Europe. During this period, many Christians, including Catholics, doubted not only Christ's authority, but also his existence. This was also a time when dangerous dictatorships were emerging in Europe and beyond. As Pope Pius and other faithful Christians began to see the respect and reverence for Christ's authority diminishing, this feast was put in place to reaffirm and refocus faith and respect in the kingship of Jesus. Do we not also see secularism, mistrust, anger dividing us in our own country and throughout the world? I suggest that it's time for us to reaffirm and refocus faith and respect in the kingdom of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Today's celebration is a start. Recognize the kingship of Jesus. Promise to serve him and only him 24-7. We don't have to be like everybody else. Let's recall from the Old Testament story from 1 Samuel 8, 1 through 22, when the people demanded a king. Samuel was faithful to God and served him well as a judge over Israel. <clears throat> Excuse me. The elders of Israel came to Samuel to discuss the matter. They disapproved of his sons serving as judges and said to Samuel, and I quote, Look, they told him, you are now old and your sons are not like you. Give us a king to judge us like, like all the other nations have. <clears throat> Samuel was displeased with their request and went to the Lord for guidance. Do everything they say to you, the Lord replied, for they are rejecting me, not you. They don't want me to be their king any longer. Ever since I brought them from Egypt, they have continuously, continually abandoned me and followed other gods. And now they are giving you the same treatment. Do as they ask, but solemnly warn them about the way a king will reign over them. Samuel told the people what the Lord had said, but they insisted that they wanted a king. And when Samuel returned to God with their demand, God told Samuel to do as they say and give them a king. One reason Israel wanted a king was to be like all the other countries. Everybody else is doing it. Would you jump off the cliff too, asks mom. No. <laughs> so... <clears throat> The monarchies in those Near Eastern nations were nearly 2,000 years old at the time of Israel's first king, Saul. In those times, kings were believed to be chosen instruments through which deities governed human affairs. So kings reigned either as gods or for the gods. The Israelites envied those other nations and were not interested in the long-term effects of monarchy since they ignored the warnings of Samuel. Even though wicked kings eventually led God's chosen nation into foreign domination and exile, God used the monarchy because God can do anything. He can work wonders through, through things that we think would never work at all. But he used the monarchy to fulfill his purposes by providing the Messiah through David and his dynasty. 
In the seventh chapter of 2 Samuel, God instructs his prophet Nathan to tell King David what he has in store for his people that includes a homeland for them. And Nathan tells David that God said, I will raise up one of your descendants, your own offspring, and I will make his kingdom strong. I will secure his royal throne forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. Now, some thousand plus years later, as the Jews were traveling to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, Jesus and his disciples were among that number. In Luke 19, we're told that Jesus was walking ahead of his disciples as they were going toward Jerusalem. And as he neared the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead to borrow a young donkey, which he then rode toward Jerusalem. Crowds spread out their garments along the road for the donkey to travel over as they waved palm branches, singing and shouting praises to God for the miracles they'd seen. Blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Praise God. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the king of Israel. Don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming riding on a donkey's colt. Yes, their king was coming, riding on a donkey's colt, a king of peace, a king indeed. Praises had been sung that had been written many years before by psalmists who were inspired to look forward to the coming of King Jesus, the Messiah. Jesus had been preparing his disciples for this time, but the idea of his sacrificial death was beyond their understanding. After the triumphal entry on Palm Sunday, Jesus continued to teach his disciples and to assure them that those things that were to happen were necessary for his mission on earth to be fulfilled. He prayed to the Father, God Almighty, and acknowledging that the time had come. Listen to excerpts from his final prayer before his arrest as found in John 17. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so he can give glory back to you. For you have given him authority over everyone. He gives eternal life to each one you have given him. And this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. Jesus' prayer continues for those who had been his followers, and then he includes us, yes, us, in his prayer. Listen to the, this beginning with John 17, 20. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. That's us, folks. He continues, I pray that they will also be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I would encourage each one of you today, after bowling, to read and reflect on the 17th chapter of the book of John in the New Testament. Every time I read that, 
I get chills thinking that, that Jesus was praying for me and for each one of you. And he knew us. He knows us. He's king of the universe. I always feel so honored to know that as his trial was about to take place, our Lord Jesus, the Christ, Jesus the King, was praying not only for those whom he had loved during his time on earth, but for us as well. And I find that overwhelming, what love this King bestows on his subjects. We've now come to the time to which our gospel lesson refers today. Jesus has been arrested, questioned by Annas, sent to the high priest Caiaphas to be tried by the Sanhedrin, Jerusalem's high court. However, the Sanhedrin did not have the power to render capital punishment, so they took Jesus to Pilate, the Roman governor of Judea. When Pilate asks Jesus, are you king of the Jews, Jesus uses this time of questioning back and forth as a time to not only answer Pilate's question, but also an opportunity to teach Pilate about his kingdom, about the truth. His kingdom is from God the Father, not from this world. To experience spiritual rebirth needed to be a part of God's kingdom. A person must be completely renewed by God's power. When we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit enters our hearts and we become subjects in the kingdom of God where Jesus is king. We Americans are unfamiliar with the ways of countries ruled by kings. We're used to selecting our leaders through the voting process, and that's a good thing for our country. We should all do our best to be good citizens, to listen, to understand those with whom we may not agree politically, excuse me, to follow, to follow the laws of the land, and to be good citizens in our own communities. Jesus did say, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, and give to God what belongs to God. We pay our taxes in a timely manner. We vote in an informed way. We respect first responders and allow them to move swiftly through traffic. We politely let our concerns be known to those in authority, exercising our right to express ourselves freely. And we praise God that this country allows us to worship freely. Good for us. We follow the rules. But today, we've been discussing another authority a king and a kingdom that were in existence before time itself. It's a heavenly kingdom, to be sure, but it also exists here on earth where those who follow Jesus actually follow Jesus. We don't choose to become Christians to join a club or to be able to feel good about ourselves, or we shouldn't. Granted, it does feel good to be with the body of believers in worship, to be able to study the word of God together, to pray for one another, to pray the Lord's Prayer at noon, unified with thousands of other Christians in our time zone. Those are good choices to have made. However, when we ask Jesus to be the king of our lives so that we might be a part of the kingdom of God, we are taking on greater responsibilities. God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit prepares us well to be accepted into the kingdom because none of us can ever be good enough to approach the throne of God, Jesus became the sacrificial lamb for the forgiveness of our sins. Once a sin has been forgiven, 
God remembers it no more. When we are baptized, a holy sacrament in the church, the vows we make or may have been made for us by our parents when we were babies are signs of our allegiance to the one true God through Jesus, the Father's Son, and our King. Those vows are repeated when one is confirmed or joins the church. During this time, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, enters our hearts. We are made new. The Spirit gifts us with spiritual gifts that will help us to do the work of the kingdom here on earth. Discover your gifts and use them to glorify God. Please take the kingdom of God seriously. In it, we are able to serve the creator of all that is or ever will be. All inventions since time began have needed the raw materials created by God and the minds created by God. We don't do it ourselves. Jesus is king of our lives. He sits at the right hand of God the Father. And as members of this kingdom of God, we are subjects of Jesus, king of the universe, every day. This is serious. We're not just on duty nine to five. We don't get weekends off or leave our prayers at the door when we come home for worship. It won't all be easy peasy, sunshine and roses, but it will be worth it. There will be battles to fight against the evil one, but we will be led by King Jesus. There may be times when we feel empty, but we will be fed by King Jesus. When we put him first in our lives, we will know that our very souls are safe in his kingdom. <clears throat> we spoke earlier about how the Israelites wanted a king like those kingdoms that surrounded them, kingdoms led by mere mortals. They rejected the one who had created them who wanted to be in relationship with them. We don't need to make the same mistake. Through Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Savior, Jesus the King, we have been invited to enter the kingdom of God right here and right now. He won't force us. God always allows us to choose. My choice is to follow King Jesus. Here I am, Lord. Amen. <clears throat>